when I first became a Christian and um, I met Mark, I used to start a lot of my sentences with, I'm so worried. And Mark's quite a big, impressive guy. And he'd go, you can't say that. The Bible says. And he drummed the scripture into me. And I think it was the first scripture that I ever memorized. And if you do nothing else, if you fall asleep or want to go home after this, please learn this scripture. It's from Philippians 4 and verse 6. It says, be anxious for nothing. This was Mark's response every time I said, I'm so worried. He would chirp back, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, he used the word petition a little earlier, with thanksgiving. There's your attitude of gratitude, Johnny, coming through. Let your requests be known to God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Take it home, learn it, memorize it. It changed my life. I changed from being a warrior to a warrior. It'll change your lives too. Supplication is a beautiful word. It means handing your burdens over to God. Hand your burdens over to God. Why do we carry them around when he is our burden bearer? And then there's a lovely verse that comes straight after that. Because verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Don't you want the peace that passes all understanding to guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ? You will have that when you're not anxious when you give your burdens to him, when you pray, you ask, and you thank him. And I could sit down and leave it, but I'll, I'll add a little bit more. So this is a way that I would love us all to be able to live. And is there anyone here who can honestly say they've never experienced anxiety? Unless you have no sense and no feeling. Um, We've all experienced anxiety at some point or another. But mental health or anxiety is becoming an epidemic in today's society. And so how can we banish that? And how can we fear less? And that's what I want to look at today. Before we start, here's another scripture of Mark's that gets repeated. It's 2 Timothy 2.2. It says, and the things, this is Paul speaking, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, and he's talking to Timothy, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So this is Paul's directive to Timothy. I'm teaching you, you're a faithful man, you go and teach others They'll be faithful. They'll pass it on. This is how the word of God spreads. This is how his light pushes back the darkness. So um, Paul the teacher, speaking to Timothy, his disciple. And as you know, um, we've been at the National Leaders Conference at the end of January, and we sat under some really good teachers. And two that particularly spoke to me and taught me were John Mark Comer, 
who is a preacher, he's a church leader, he's an author, he's just an all-round amazing person who I'm following and learning so much from. And then Kate Middleton, not the princess, as Eddie explained to you last week, but she is a preacher, she is a psychologist, and she's the director of the Mind and Found, Soul and Mind, Mind and Soul, Mind and Soul Foundation. Two incredible people who taught me, and I want to be that disciple, that um, faithful one, that passes on some of the things I learned from them to you. And then I'm hoping you'll be the faithful ones that pass it on to others. So, here we go. Anxiety. First of all, anxiety is necessary. It can cause us to respond so that we avoid a problem or a dangerous situation. It's the brain telling us something coming up is important. I mean, it could be an exam. It could be a birth. It could be planting a church. The brain tells us, uh-oh, this is something different. But it's important how you respond. Because if you don't respond appropriately, your anxiety will control you. And that is a very, very dangerous thing. Often, we react to anxiety in two ways. We call it a fight or flight response. And the fight is you stand. And sometimes you even attack. That's not really that good. So I'm not asking you to go around thumping everybody. Please don't get that. But if someone's bullying you at work and belittling you and putting you down, don't take the flight response. Don't run and hide and cry and let it depress you and get yourself anxious. Take a stand. And in love, say to them, you know, what you've been saying really makes me feel that I'm not worthy. I feel that I'm being belittled and, and it's really making me uncomfortable. There's a way to do something like that. You don't have to attack. That's not what the fight response, that's when it goes overboard and we become aggressive and we want everybody to do what we want and we want it our way and we push and we shove and we kick and we fight because we want it done our way. That's, that's not the way to deal with anxiety. And running away can become a habit of avoidance behavior. Every time something, I'm, I'm going the other way. Every time something troubles you, oh, I'm so anxious, I'm going to back off. And you just live your life in a state of permanent anxiety. You are controlled by it. It's destructive. And so we need to moderate our flight or fight responses so that they are healthy and help us. They don't become a controlling mechanism that ruins our lives. So here are some pointers that, that may be helpful. First of all, anxiety is inevitable. We said that at the beginning. At some stage or another, we are all going to feel anxious about something. But it can make us overthink things. And that is just not helpful. There are times when it can cause us to act inappropriately. Again, not helpful. The second point, fear does not equal truth. 
Anxiety or fear means something might happen, not this will definitely happen. When we're emotionally or physically exhausted, it makes it very hard for us to think clearly. And that's when we're likely to overreact. Before you freak out, why don't you ask yourself, is this real? Is this justified? Or is this an enemy fake out? Is the enemy faking something? This is not the truth and I'm going to fall into his trap. In other words, is it true, or is the enemy trying to discourage you? And what can you do when you feel that? Take courage. Take courage. Jesus is with you. You are not alone. He tells you that. You are never alone. Pause. Breathe. Do some deep breathing. Calm down your thoughts. Still your hearts and minds. Fix your eyes on Jesus, not on the circumstances. He's there to reassure you, to encourage you. I want to look at the word of God now, and I'm going to look at the scripture. We've referenced it a bit. We've sung about it today. And it's from Matthew chapter 14, and it's from verse 22 to 33. And Jesus has been with the disciples. They've been in a bit of an out-of-the-way place, and the disciples are getting a bit panicky because it's getting time to eat, and there are no corner shops around, and there are thousands, not hundreds, of people. And Jesus says, oh, we'll see what there is, and they come back with the little boy's lunch. Not really going to do the trick. But with Jesus, all things are possible, and he manages to feed over 5,000 people. So they must have been quite excited at seeing this, but also quite tired. And now the chapter opens at verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him, to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. This is when I know my leadership skills are a bit lacking. I would have said, guys, you deal with this crowd. I'm getting in the boat and I'm going off for some peace and quiet. Learning leadership all the time. No, he says, you get in the boat. Off you go. I'll sort this out. And he dismisses the crowd. And then verse 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. This is the key passage, word, line, point. Take it to the Lord in prayer. And Jesus didn't just pop up, have a quick word, and then join them. He stayed there till the evening all by himself, just in the Lord's presence. If we want to overcome anxiety, if we want to live a life that is victorious, no matter the circumstances, we have to keep coming to God. We have to spend time in his presence. And so Jesus was alone, 
spending time with God. If he needed to do that, my goodness, how much more do we? Verse 24, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. It seems as though they'd been rowing because they couldn't put the sails up. It was not a very good wind for about nine hours. And I don't know if you feel like you've been in that place where you've been battling against the circumstances, where you've been fighting. You seem to be battered from all sides and you just don't seem to be getting anywhere. So this isn't just a story about some disciples out on the lake. This is a story about our lives and where we find ourselves. And I think we can all agree we found ourselves in that place where we're just feeling battered by everything and we're not getting anywhere and we don't know which way to turn. Verse 25. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. So it's pretty dark. And don't you just... It just Jesus went to them walking on the sea, like Jesus had a bite to eat, or Jesus sat down and had a cup of tea. No, Jesus walked on the sea. Just incredible, the power, the might, the majesty of Jesus. And then verse 26, hardly surprising. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. They didn't recognize him. It was dark. This must have been really, really scary. Really, really scary. Someone, a ghost, a something, an apparition, walking on the water, just appearing suddenly out of the dark. I'm not surprised. They cried out in fear. Verse 27 says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them. I love that. When we're in that place where we're going, God, help, what do I do? Immediately, he's going to answer you. Immediately. He's not going to sit there and go, oh, we'll let them stew for a bit. You know, really, they've gone a bit wrong. And so, No, immediately. Cry out to him immediately. He'll call to you. And this is what he says. Be of good cheer. Going, seriously? These guys are in a boat. There are huge waves. The wind is howling. They are absolutely exhausted. They've just seen what they think is a ghost. And he goes, oh, be of good cheer. It just blows me away. There's another time when that um, particular phrase is used. Be of good cheer. And um, it's in Acts. Paul um, has really run foul of the Jewish authorities. He's been preaching Jesus as the Messiah and they are not happy, and um, the Jewish people are not happy. And eventually a riot breaks out, and they're about to tear Paul limb from limb. They're going to kill him. And the Roman soldiers have to come out of their barracks and take Paul and rescue him and put him in the barracks for his own safety. So there he is, just about being pulled apart by the mob. He's now in the barracks of the Roman soldiers. And in Acts chapter 23 and verse 11 it says, The Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul. I mean, it's insane, isn't it? But that's what an encourager he is to us. He's not just saying, don't be afraid. He's saying, be of good cheer. Come on, cheer up. Like, okay. 
And then he says to Paul, For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so must you also be witness at Rome. And so following this, he's giving him a direction, an instruction. But first of all, he encourages him. He cheers him up. And I love what Jesus says. After he said, be of good cheer, he says, it is I. Now bear in mind, it's pitch dark. The wind's howling, the waves are going. He doesn't say, don't worry guys, don't worry guys, it's me, it's Jesus. He just says, it is I. And remember when Moses asked God what his name was, he said, I am. I am. And Jesus is saying the same thing. It is I. It is I. He is God incarnate. That's the power that he has. It is I. And they understand that. They don't say, I who? What? What did you say? They get it straight away. They understand. It is I. And then he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He's saying it to Peter. He's saying it to us. And then verse 28, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Just Peter, isn't it? He just wants to go. He just wants to experience life. He just wants to do things. He's ready to step out of the boat. But he's not stupid. Sometimes we see Peter sort of engages his mouth after he's taken his foot out of it first. But not this time. He says, if it is you. And then he wants to get out of the boat. He wants to walk on the water. Verse 29. So he said, come. Come. And that's what Jesus says to us. When we're willing to step out on the boat, when we're willing to adventure with him, when we're willing to go where he's calling us, no matter what the circumstances look at, he just says, come. He just says, come. He wants us to have a life of adventure with him. He does not want us stuck in the rocking boat with the wind and the waves. He says, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And you know what's so lovely about that? He's not dancing on the water and going to the disciples, ha, ha, look at me, look at me, da, da, da. He's going to Jesus. And we need to remember that. When he calls us out, when we step out of the situation where we're a bit worried, where our boat's being rocked, and he says, come, go to him. Don't just go dancing around or wandering off. Go to him. He said, come. He's calling us to him. Verse 30, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. How often do we get into that situation? We take a step of faith and think, oh my goodness, what have I done? Help, 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 can't do this, too much for me, too big, too scary, too something, and we go into a panic. Don't look at the circumstances. Don't look at the waves. Look to Jesus. And Peter had the sense to cry out, Lord, save me. 
Verse 31, and immediately, there's the immediately again. Jesus is not letting him go down, down, down till it's above his mouth and the nose is going and he goes, okay, come on, I'll help you out now. No, 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 immediately, immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand. Isn't it beautiful? And he caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt And when Jesus says to him, oh, you have little faith, he's not going, oh, you useless idiot, where on earth is your faith? Can't you even trust me for a minute? Goodness me, what am I going to do with you? He's not chastising at all. He's saying, come on, you've got a little bit of faith. All you need is a little bit of faith. Come on, you, with your little bit of faith. Why are you doubting? All you need is a little bit of faith. There are people we can look at, maybe in our lives, maybe in the books that we read, who are giants in the faith. And we go, oh, I wish I could be like that. But Jesus says, come on, just you have little faith. Don't doubt. All you need is a little, little bit of faith. Just Peter lost confidence for a little bit. His faith shrunk. He just stopped trusting. But Jesus saying, come on, come on, you've got enough faith. You can do this, you can do this. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20, Jesus tells his disciples, if you have faith as a mustard seed, and I think the mustard seed is the smallest seed. I was trying to get some for you, and then I thought, you're not even going to find them. They're so tiny, how are you going to hold one? Can you imagine the size of a mustard seed in your hand? He said, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. God's got a way of meeting our needs and helping us solve our problems. And and that way is rooted in your faith, becoming a seed faith. You need a seed faith. He'll take that little, little, little bit of faith that we've got, and you plant it in the ground. And the mountains of earth on top of it will not stop it pushing up and blooming. And don't sit there at the foot of Snowdonia or Ben Nevis and going, move over there, move over there. God said, if you have faith, the small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains, mountain move. No, he's giving us a picture. You understand that. Whatever big problem we see in our life that seems like an insurmountable mountain, we can move that with just a little bit of faith because with God all things are possible verse 32 and when they got into the boat the wind ceased Jesus just takes Peter by his hand lifts him up they climb into the boat dead calm Let Jesus climb into your situation where your boat is rocking and let him calm the storm in your life. And the last verse says, Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. That's the place where we need to come. 
where we recognize who he is and we worship him. So how do we become this non-anxious presence in the midst of anxiety and chaos? And may I suggest five points to help you? And we will be elaborating on these in the next season because we really are wanting to massage this into the hearts and minds of the church because I believe this is something that God is speaking to the church not just to our church, wherever we've been, whoever we're speaking to, they're hearing the same thing. So the first thing is slowing. To become that non-anxious presence, we need to slow down, stop rushing, practice the ruthless elimination of hurry, You've heard us quote this title of John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And ruthless means you've got to be pretty serious about it. Give time to God to listen to him and to let him speak. A second point would be to Sabbath. We need to build a rhythm in our lives as God did. For six days he worked and on the seventh day he rested. And we are commanded, commanded, he only gives us ten, commanded to keep the Sabbath holy. And this has challenged Mark and I as we've come back from the NLC because Sunday sort of the Sabbath in our life But it's not a rest at all. We're up before six in the morning. Mark's sorting the songs out or putting pictures up or working out what needs to be done. Then he's packing everything up to get here. Then he's setting everything up. And then he's running the show and then he's packing everything down. And he's going home and he's upstairs. He doesn't even eat. He's back on the computer making sure you can all get the message and everyone knows what he's doing. I'm going, darling, um, do you like to eat yet? It's not a rest day. We're not resting in the Lord. And so how do we Sabbath? What does Sabbath mean? It means we rest and retreat, and then we return, and then we rest and retreat, and then we return. We rest and retreat, and we return. And if God needed to do it, I think maybe we do too. And it's very hard to work this out. But just as you have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry, Mark and I are ruthlessly committing ourselves to Sabbath. And we haven't got it perfectly right yet, but my goodness, it's making such a difference. When the phones are off, when we are there worshipping the Lord, we can put on music for an hour and just worship the Lord. We can pray together. We enjoy a meal together. It was wonderful yesterday. Our daughter came down because Sabbath is time with the family. It's time to worship. It's time to enjoy God. We had a meal with her. That's what Sabbath is. It's not doing work. It's stepping away from your work. And we're not trying to be legalistic. We're not trying to say, oh, you have to do the Sabbath and you can't turn the lights on and you've got to have your... We're not trying to do that. 
We're just trying to say, can you build a rhythm into your life as God did, where we rest and retreat and we return because it will strengthen you as it's already blessing and strengthening us. Sabbath. The third one is koinonia, or koinonia, depending on your Greek. Koinonia. It simply means fellowship. I love the word. We don't do our spiritual journey on our own. We do it with others. We might have a prayer partner. We might be doing it in connect groups. We might only be able to do it on a Sunday when we get together. But we do it together. We are not meant to be doing this on our own. And so make sure that you're connected or connecting on a deeper level with other believers if you want to really eliminate anxiety. The fourth point is contemplative prayer. Just look what Rach produced after just spending time in the Lord, waiting on him, listening to him, contemplating what he is saying. We've been doing it with an imaginative reading of scripture. I know that the other groups have been doing the same thing. We've done Lectio Divina. These might have been strange words to you. Now you're familiar with them and you're finding different practices to really get into prayer, not just race through, I've got to finish the Bible in one year, yay, tick the box. It means to abide, to rest in the Father's love. And we'll be teaching a lot more on this in the coming months. The opposite of contemplation is not action. Contemplation always leads to action. We wait on God, we hear from God, and God speaks to us, and he gives us something to do. But the opposite of contemplation is reaction. When you charge into things, and you actually don't take them to the Lord. You just go off in your own strength. We want to be people who live with a non-anxious presence, calm, reflective wisdom. The fifth point is indifference. That doesn't mean I don't care. It's an Ignatian term. And it simply means that your joy and your peace are not dependent on your circumstances. You do not jump for joy and go, oh, yay, the Lord has spoken to me. I've got this to do, that to do. Oh, wow, I've just had a baby. This is Orlando's mom. That's great. But that's not the deep joy. Neither are we asking you to dance on the tables because your mother died. Yay, yay, yay. hope no one feels like that about their mothers. Um, it's this deep, deep sense of peace and joy that no matter what your circumstances, you have that deep inner well of joy and peace rooted in the Holy Spirit. So the indifference means whether you are flying or failing, you still live in the presence of God. He never goes anywhere, but boy, do we sometimes find it easy to go off without him. Indifference. Paul said he's learned to be content in all circumstances. And I'm trying very hard. It's not always easy. But can we learn to be content in all circumstances? 
those are just five points to, to help you think about some things that might apply to your life and your lifestyle and, and things that you might be able to apply when you're dealing with anxiety. And we will be enlarging them and doing more of them. So we want to fear less. Because when fear or anxiety are running the show, then love is repressed. We can't love when we're in the pit, when we're so busy being afraid, so busy worrying about something. That's the overriding emotion in us, and there isn't room for love. To become a non-anxious person full of love and peace, we must release negative emotions like fear or anger or bitterness or insecurity and not let them control us. We are not standing firmly on the rock of our salvation if we nosedive when things go wrong and then bounce up when we're feeling better. We need to stand firm, not give the devil a foothold. You know he's prowling around and he's waiting to pounce and he will devour you. But we stand on the rock of our salvation with that deep inner peace so that we become a non-anxious presence. That doesn't mean life will be a bowl of cherries. Sorry to disappoint you if that's what you expect. But it's how we keep that calm and peace and joy. That deep well is full because we stand on the rock of our salvation. Can we just spend some time now waiting on the Holy Spirit? Perhaps you could invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there's some fear or some anxiety that has been controlling you. And can you take that to the Lord with supplication? Give it to him. He calls us to come. Just as he called Peter to come, he gives us the power to follow him, even in adversity. And he encourages us to become adventurous disciples, stepping out on the water, not being like terrified onlookers in the boat, missing all the fun because they were afraid. Let the Lord deal with you now so that you can live fearless. Would you just take some time on your own, just quiet in your spirits, and just let the Lord speak to you?